On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Laura Cox. I'm talking with Jay Scott for The Hook Frog. She got a way about her Makes me wanna fall She took me up on shelter Welcome back. It is another episode of the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Thanks for tuning in. Hope everyone's having a great holiday season. New Year is upon us. And uh, cold weather is definitely here, too. I mean, when uh, when you look at what uh, we have coming in store here in Chicago, Chicago over the next week, uh, yeah, it definitely builds character. And uh, we got a lot of it here. So, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. Don't forget to check out my friends on that platform. There's a lot of podcasts on there, but uh, I always mention Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast, uh, the number one KISS podcast in podcasting. Really a big podcast. They've really taken off, so good for them. We just did a sidecast, uh, our fourth episode of the Led Zeppelin Chronicles, where we discussed Led Zeppelin 3, so check that out. Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mistress Carrie, the great DJ out in Boston, Carmen Apice and Vinny Apice on the Hanging and Banging podcast, as well as Chris and Aaron on Decibel Geek and Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Also check out All Things Blues and Southern Rock. Brian and Jason do a great job on that podcast. The Itch Rock and Radio Guys as well, uh, and Pot of Thunder. Don't forget to check out Pantheon Podcast on all social media apps like Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. And you can do the same with The Hook Rocks. Just search us up, The Hook Rocks, on all three platforms. We are available. And wherever you subscribe to a podcast, we are available. So set your app to automatic download so you get all the latest episodes plus the 400-plus episodes we've had previously. We're approaching 450. We've been doing this for 
three and a half years. So uh, we always enjoy new listeners. We always enjoy great reviews too as well. So tell us what you think. Tell us what we're doing right and tell us what you enjoy. We always appreciate it. We've had some great episodes recently. We had Tyler Bryan on. We had Tuck Smith. We had Philippa Nazil from Thunder Mother. We had GA20, the great traditional blues band. Uh, Matt Stubbs stopped by, so that was great to have him on. And we just had the history of vinyl with our resident audio professor, Rob, at Skylab Tapes. So we talk about vinyl in the past and where it is present day and how it's a billion-dollar industry right now in, in music, and it's just absolutely uh, incredible. We also had Dorothy Martin on last week. She uh, has the great album out released early this year, um, Gifts from the Holy Ghost. So check that out. Had a chance to see her and Joyous Wolf and Classes Act earlier this year at the House of Blues. Great interview with her. And we've got another fantastic interview lined up for you today. Um, band that I have enjoyed immensely over the last few years. And great blues band. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of like Blackberry Smoke and Georgia Thunderbolts and all those great Southern rock bands. And uh, this band is is one of the top Southern rock bands out there. One of the top blues Southern rock bands out there. And that is Robert John, the wreck. And I'd like to welcome in Robert Burson. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks man. for thanks, having me. Hey, thanks for doing this, man. I, I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to get to know you and more about the band and more about what you're up to these days. So thanks again. Yeah. Pleasure. We always start the same way. Every time we have a first-time guest on the show, and that is really what we're all about. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, an album, a performance, or song that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Uh, it was probably my first concert. I bought tickets to go see Boston at the Orange County Fair, and uh, I couldn't drive there, so I had to convince one of my older friends to take me. Um, but I gave him a free ticket, so... I thought it was a good, you know, bargaining tool. And yeah, I mean, ever since then, it was, uh, it was, you know, wanting to be on that stage and, and, and play rock and roll. What was it about that show that really captured your attention and, you know, brought you down the path of rock and roll? Well, you know, I, I just think it was the first time experiencing what that was, you know, um, the first time seeing a rock band in, in a giant amphitheater, um, you know, and especially, you know, I think, I think I was in junior high, maybe seventh grade, or I had to have been like 13 maybe. Um, but I mean, that, that age you're, you're really malleable, you know, like you're, you, you soak everything in, you know, I feel like way more than anything else. And just being in that amphitheater, I don't remember, I don't remember getting there. I don't remember walking in. All I remember is sitting and watching them play for however long it was. Um, and it was just, uh, it was loud and it was in charge. And, you know, I, I don't even know if, you know, who was on the stage, really. I just knew that I liked Boston and I want to go see a rock show. How do I do it? <laughs> That's one of the bands I, I was never able to see. Um, just a fantastic band. Obviously, their legacy still stands the test of time. After Boston, what happened next for you? I mean, I was only 13, so it was, it was, you know, I was playing drums already. So it was like, okay, how do I, you know, 
I would just go home and play drums to Aerosmith and bought, like any classic rock album that I had, I would just be playing drums to that record. Um, and it, you know, but that was before thoughts about being in a band were a thing. It was just me in my room playing drums to rock and roll. Um, and then, you know, you, you go further in life and then high school hits and, you know, you start getting around your friends who all play different instruments or some of them play the same, but they'll learn how to play the bass. Um, and, you know, you go from there and we were just jamming in my room on Fridays. My dad picked us up, went to my house, played in my room, then everyone figured out how to get home. <laughs> what were some of your other influences? You mentioned Boston, you mentioned Aerosmith, but what were some of the other bands that kind of shaped your music journey in, in, in your career? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, my younger years, it was just classic rock, whatever I could find. Um, Deep Purple was a huge one. The Who um and the beatles are in there too um black sabbath i'm trying to think of all the records i had on my wall in <laughs> in junior high and high school um but that i mean that was that was what it was shaping it then um and then i you know I, as you grow you you grow in different ways and shapes and uh you know then discovering almond brothers and black crows and and you know hearing that sound and and getting kind of feeling more closer to that sound and, and the soul that's a part of it. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, through high school, I was listening to a little bit of everything uh, and trying all the, I feel like in high school is where you, you know, you can learn all that stuff. You can, you can try a little bit of the, the harder heavy rock and then you can try a little bit of the punk and you can try just to be in a solid, you know, rock band that's writing shitty songs. You know, that that's the time to really discover who you are and, and, as a musician and as a music lover. When you think of the blues, you know, you've got a lot of these rock bands influencing you, whether it's heavy rock, Southern rock, but there's also that element of blues in your music. Where does that influence come from? I mean, I, I, I know that I, I grew up with one Taj Mahal record and uh, I feel like I got into the blues a little bit more later uh, after high school. You know, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if there's a <laughs> a uh, an equation that makes sense. But uh, I didn't get into the blues until then. And then, you know, really sitting back and, and I think it was when songwriting kind of came into play. Because beforehand, we're just playing music. You know, we're we're not worried about if the song is good or not. But I think when started so so like writing songs, uh, these guys are just they have songs that you want to sing to, but it's you know three chords and really simple verse and a really simple chorus you know and I, I think i dove into that a little bit more when the songwriting was was uh more on my forefront than just playing drums and rocking out <laughs> you kind of merge all those influences together with your music but you know that southern rock element is is, is pretty heavy in, in your songs and as you kind of evolve as a band it seems to become more defined too is that the evolution that you envisioned with your group with the band no not at all um i we we just set out to play music and write music that we love um that was it we weren't we didn't say hey i want let's let's be in a southern rock band okay cool um it's just it's just the music that pours out of our hands and our and our voices and our our souls you know it's just what comes out um you know i mean if we were in the room and uh, you know i don't know anything else came out that would be what we wanted to do and we would just push forward but 
um, that Southern rock vibe just kind of came out of us naturally. And it's, it's what we're doing um, right now. And I think it's, I think it's a lot easier to, to, to label it as a Southern rock, you know, sound because it's easy to relate to people understand what um almond brothers and leonard skinner sound like you know but uh but we have a our own little california twist to it uh like as we like to say <laughs> as far as writing music was there a song or a band or a musician that wrote music that inspired you lyrically i mean I think, I think lyrically for me, it's just been a growing process. Um, I think that I don't think any, any lyricist is, is, was who I was like shooting for. Um, but I remember listening to a lot of Ray LaMontagne, uh, when he first started coming out with records, uh, Damien Rice, Amos Lee. And those guys were the ones that, that really, I think were the heavy in influencing my songwriting. Uh, even to this day, I mean, it's, it's, I listen to a lot of just, singer songwriters in that vein and uh you know you get into the room with the guys and that song could turn in turn into a, a heavy rock one you never know ray lamontaine is um man that guy can really set a vibe and a mood with his music you know it's it's just i've never had a chance to see him live i've seen clips of him live he's definitely on my bucket list to see but man he can he can write a tune like emotional yeah. and just just grabs you. Yeah, I've I've been waiting to see him live. I want to say my whole life. Um, every time it seems that he rolls through Southern California, I'm gone. And it's it's kind of been that that same thing for the past I don't know twelve years. That every time he comes through, I'm gone. And now I just don't even look at his touring schedule anymore. I just figure that I'll be gone, so I don't want to be discouraged anymore. But one day, I really hope to to see him. He's got an interesting story too. Doesn't he like live in Maine and he's like a farmer or did he become a farmer after he broke into the music business? Whatever it is, it's like such a unique story. Yeah. Yeah, I don't recall exactly what it was, but I know it's it's something like that. (laughs) Yeah. And Amos Lee too. Uh, I'm not really familiar with Damien Rice's stuff, but Amos Lee is um, definitely a great writer, a great singer songwriter. Oh Yeah. So you've got the new single out now. Um, you've got a couple of new singles out, and you know you're working towards uh, a, a new album that will be released. The two songs are "Who Can You Love" and "Pain No More," both uh, released here in December um, last week, actually. Yeah, uh, you can check out those on, on on streaming services. I think there's a video for "Pain No More." That you can also find too as well. Um, as you prepare for you know music to come out and you guys haven't done an album since what 2020 and of course um you know you've uh 2021 yeah of course there's been the you know obviously pandemic and it's kind of skewed things but you know coming into the new year with the new album you guys are also going to be touring europe and the uk what um how did this album come together for you guys well this uh this slew of songs is um we're, we're releasing it how we are um, just, just as we go. And then the, it'll be packaged up into a small EP after we release a couple more. Um, and then we actually go into the studio to record a full length um, album uh, in the spring of this year, which will be out later this year. So um, we're, we're getting ready. 
to uh, record the full length album. I don't think these songs will be on it. We're going to have these have a life of their own first and, and we'll see how to package them up later. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're gearing up to the, the album now. And um, you know, it, it's always different. Every album cycle is different. You know, sometimes we go into the room for four weeks and we come out with 10 great songs and that's it. And sometimes we, takes us a little longer every album is different every song is different for that matter i mean some songs come out great the day before you record them <laughs> and uh we switch things up so is that really indicative though of of where the music business has gone i mean you released the album last year you're doing an ep now and 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 now you're going to be doing a new album in the spring all surrounded by tours and playing out live and you know, it's obviously there's the the idea of you got to stay in front of your audience or they'll forget about you because people's attention spans are so short these days. Is that for you guys where you want to be musically or is it kind of you have to be this way? You know, I wish I could answer that question in a couple of years. Um, right now, we're enjoying every minute and we love being busy. We love looking at things for the future and, and, and getting excited about opportunities that are coming up. And, and um, so we're excited and we're great. Um, I don't know if I can honestly say this is the right way to do it. I don't think anyone really has that key or that tool um, to, to know what the right way and what the wrong way is. Um, I think the wrong way is to not play shows and not record music and pretend that everything is going to work. <laughs> but I think the right way to do it for us at least is just to be, be, be moving um, to be out there playing as much as we can, to be writing as much as we can, to be recording as much as we can. Um, Cause you know, I, I've heard that same thing that you just said, you know, everyone's attention span is so small these days, but I've been hearing that for, for years and years. And um, I think the attention span may be getting smaller than it used to be. Um, and I think that, everyone's always looking at new content, no matter what it is, no matter if it's any type of art um, every day on their phones. Um, so in order to be up with how people are receiving their information daily um, is, is, you know, a, a stretch for, for artists because back in the day you recorded a record and you toured on it for a couple of years and then you got to the next record when you could and, and now I just think that uh, everything's moving so quickly around you that unless you're running along with it and keeping up, I think you will be left in the dust a little bit. But um, that's that's I guess that's how I'm looking at it right now. You just mentioned how it was in the past. You know, you tour for a couple of years and then you got to an album when you got to it. It's a totally different regimen now as we yeah. as we're talking about it. How do you guys navigate through that and, and always being active? And how do you keep the the creative part of your your music and, and creating music alive? Because, I mean, there's some people that need time to write. And there's some people that, you know, write when they're inspired. And that inspiration may not come for a while. But with, like you said, if you're not playing shows, you're not making music, you're doing it wrong. So how do you keep tapping into that creative process? I, I think it's, 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 it's not being scared of what you come up with. Um, if we have the time, we'll go in and write a song. If it's, if it's, if it's not good, it won't be recorded. But if, if we wasted that time that we had and 
and we could have had a time to write a song and it was good, uh, then that's the way I look at it. I mean, if we have the time and, and you know, I mean, writing on the road is super difficult because you're working 24 seven. Um, so in the past we were like, well, we need to write on the road and we tried and that really, it doesn't work that great. Um, but you know, what taking the time at home just to be writing. And if, uh, if every week you have an idea that could be cool, might as well try it. And, uh, there's definitely uh, plenty of songs that we have iPhone recordings of that we'll never see the light of day because they're just not that great um, to us right now. You know, we might look back on them in two years and be like, man, that was a really cool idea. Why didn't we do anything with that? So it's just, uh, you know, if, if, if I waited for inspiration to strike, I don't, I think I'd write a song a month. I mean, a, a year <laughs> um, because you, you know, you never know. So, yeah, just always willing to try and see what comes out. And if something great comes out, then then you won. And if something mediocre comes out, you still won because you're still you're still doing it. It's also it's also a way of committing to yourself too, right? I mean, you know, a lot of times when you're in that cycle where you tour for a couple of years and then you get to an album you may not always be thinking creatively, right? Because you know you're taking a break. But if you're constantly in that mode of creating and writing music, I don't know, does does it come easier with that type of regimen when you're when you're always looking to be creative? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, I think writing songs is everyone has their own way about it. Um, and everyone does it how they do it. And that's the only way that it works for everyone to do it. So everyone has their own process, their own things. I have friends that wake up every morning and write a song no matter what. And that's what they do. And uh, they don't release every song they write, but they, they wake up and write a song a day. Um, and there, there's a lot of stuff out there about how it's a muscle. And the more you do it, the better you are at it. And I, and I believe that the more you do do it, um, you know, some people are gifted and they write the best song they've ever written at 15 um, without ever touching a guitar. but uh, I think the more you do it, um, the better you get at it. And uh, if we're always trying to better ourselves in the band, uh, when it, if it's from performance to writing to anything, um, we're always striving. We're always looking at the next step. And uh, we want to be ready for it before we take it. We want to be waiting on the edge. Um, and I just, I just went off on a tangent. I don't know, really know what question I was answering. <laughs> well, that was it was a great answer, but it was just about being if you're always in a creative mode, it seems to be easier to keep creating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, you know, get, getting back home when you're not on the road, you're not surrounded by the work and, and the plane and everything. And I think if you're always writing throughout the year, wherever you are, you know, every song has a chance to be a little different because you're always in a different headspace throughout the year um so if we went home and we wrote all of our songs in october we're all in that same headspace so all the songs are pretty much going to be about the same thing um but if you write songs throughout the year and then put them all together um eventually or two years down the line or even three years down the line you you have a better chance of kind of talking about some interesting stuff that you might not have thought you you, were, you even went through um because it it, it was you know, you've done so much in between and you go back and you're like, oh man, that was a, 
shitty time or that was a really cool time or that was a really weird time. <laughs> yeah, each song is a diary entry, right? And each album is is kind of like a, a book of those entries. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. You, you hear guys like some of these guitar players. I mean, one of the most well-known uh, guitar players, Eddie Van Halen, would catalog his riffs. He never knew if he was ever going to go back to him or if that riff fit into another part of a song he was writing. Yeah. But he was always recording stuff. George Lynch has been on the show, the guitar player from Dokken, you know, talks about all these files that he has. And you never know. Richie Kotzen uh, released 50 for 50. And there was 50 songs on his 50th birthday that he released that were all parts of songs that he never finished. That's cool. That's right. Yeah. So I bet I could, I could, I could put that out right now. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's an interesting perspective when you, when you hear of people creating that way, because they're always creating. And like you said, if, you know, people are recording songs all the time, it may not be a good song, or maybe that riff from that song may be better suited in a song you write a year or two later. Yeah. But if you're always creating, you can find the, the bridge to each song and maybe mesh them together or be inspired lyrically to put the lyrics with that song. So, yeah, I feel like, I feel like you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, that, that's what we do in the room as a band all the time. I mean, we'll come in with an idea and then Henry will be like, Oh, you know, that riff that I posted six months ago, let's try that riff on this thing. Oh, that works. You know, or, you know, you have a chorus that just doesn't have anywhere to go and someone else brings in a verse and you're like, Oh, this chorus is what that verse needs, you know? So at least, it, you know, you don't forget about it if you're always doing it. Has that process evolved as you guys, as your careers have gone on and over, I mean, you guys started, you know, 2011 and now here we are, you know, going to be 12 years later. Has, has that writing process been the same or has it evolved as you guys have grown in your careers? Oh, it's evolved a lot. I mean, it, I, I hope that people realize it's getting better. Um, same, you know, if you listen to what we were recorded in 2011, I, I hope, you know, um, it, at least it may be a little deeper, <laughs> um, in some aspect, but, um, yeah, I think it's always evolving. And I think that looking back at, at how we were writing maybe in 2010 or 2011, um, there was no, there was nothing there to make sure that this is good or bad it was just like here's a song this is how we play it let's record it there was uh uh there was no checks and balances uh, if you will and now we like take a second and we're like how like how can we make this song better and beforehand you just kind of here's a song let's this is how we play it let's put it out um so i guess there's more thought to it um because a we don't want to release the same song that we've already written, uh, which is easy to do. I mean, the, the brain, the brain is works on repetition. Um, but yeah, I just think there's 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 more time and there's more effort in play when it comes to songwriting now than there than there was in the past. There's not enough checks and balances in today's music. Everyone can put out a song on a streaming service in. Some artists or some bands are out there, you know, they have their girlfriend or their mother telling them how great the song is, but there's really no, there's really no honest 
view of their music. How, how do you get to that point without bringing outside people in to have that honest view? You know what? I, I, I think that I think it's great that everyone can record a song and put it up on the internet. I think that music is so diverse that if, you know, if, if we heard, if you and I heard a song that we thought was just not worth anyone's time, it doesn't mean that there's two other people across the world talking about how that song is so good. Um, I think it's music's for everyone and people gravitate to what they enjoy. Um, and people walk away from what they dislike. And I think that a true artist is probably the, the guy that goes in there and just does it himself and releases it without anyone say and, and loves every minute of it and is not worried about making money or making a career or providing for anything. He's just doing what he loves and it comes out of his heart. And I think that's pretty, a pretty beautiful thought. And, and, you know, it, to each his own, everyone's different. Um, but, I think that some of the songs that are on the top of the charts, there's reasons for that. If it's not your style, that's one thing. But if you get down to the core of what that song is and, and uh, bring it down to just words and words and a melody, you know, there's some good stuff out there. <laughs> well, when, when does that happen for you guys? You mentioned that, you know, the, as you grew in your career and evolved as a band, the songs were a lot deeper, had more depth were you know better quality when does it when do you guys as a band realize that that's what you need like that's like to have that checks and balance right because not too many artists are able to look inward like that and say hey this is what we need to do to get to the next level you know they you know a lot of people a lot of artists unless they're told are going to believe you know their their songs are the the best thing since since the Beatles or the Stones, you know, because mm -hmm. we're told that everybody's telling them how great they are. But when you look like you guys did and say, hey, you know, we if we want to be better, we've got to do this better. And we've got to really have a an honest look at our music before we put this stuff out. How, how does that happen with you guys? I, I think it, it ha I think I mean, it's a natural thing, which sounds weird to say, but I mean, we didn't. I don't think it just happened. There's got to be a sense of self-awareness. Yeah. Know? And and I think, you know, being in a band, there's, there's five heads there to, to give you those checks and balances. So I think the more we played together, the, the more confident we were about giving criticism to the other person and, uh, and being confident that, you know, it won't become an issue between us because we're just trying both to write the best song. Um, and we do all of our songwriting together. Um, if someone brings in an idea or a riff, it's still in the room and we all figure it out together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was just an, a natural occurrence to, to put that in play and, and to, to want to make it better because we are striving to be better all the time um, in the field that we are, you know, hopefully in everything in life, but um, for this <laughs> conversation, 
for you know for for doing what we're doing we're playing music we're out there on the road and we're writing songs and recording them and releasing music that we want people to relate to and and to enjoy and to feel something and and to understand and so you know we can uh we can write a lot of like songs that don't mean anything but if they don't mean anything to us then why should they mean anything to anyone else listening to them and I think that's the biggest thing. You know, we, we, we just want to meet, we want the songs to mean something to us because if we're going to relay that information to anyone, um, it's better to believe it instead of just get on stage and do whatever you want. With the advancements in technology, it's, it's very easy to write remotely and get on a zoom call and yeah. write music. How important is it for you guys though, to stay in that room and write music? <laughs> write music together versus doing it over a zoom, you know, chat meeting or whatever. It's huge. Uh, there's a feeling that you get over in the room together. There's an energy that people give off. There's, you know, if someone's having a bad day, that song could be angry and it could be the coolest song you've ever written. Um, if everyone's having a great day, it could be the highlight of that week. You know, um, we do, we do some co-writes um, over zoom with people who aren't, you know, who are across who are in Chicago. Um, and they, but then we'll take that right. And we'll go into the room and, and flesh it out together. Um, I think it's incredibly important. And, um, you know, there was a time where we weren't supposed to, and we respected that for a little bit, but we got in the room pretty quickly to, to write and play music. Cause that's, we will go crazy without it. I also think fans can tell, when it's authentic. And I, I think being in the room together is part of, is part of that authenticity. You, you know, it's, it's, it just creates a synergy within the band. It makes the band yeah. tighter and you can tell when bands are kind of mailing it in. And I, and I think when you have remote writing sessions and I, I'm sure there's always instances where, Hey, what do you think of this riff for this song or whatever, but truly writing as a band, I, I really think that's, that's rock and roll, especially out of all other genres of music. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's times where we'll go into rehearse and someone starts playing something and it ends up being a song. I mean, we didn't even plan it. It wasn't, we didn't, we weren't there to, we were there to actually rehearse the music that we're supposed to be, you know, playing, but we'll end up taking two hours just to flush out this song because if if, it, if you're in the moment, you gotta, you gotta be in the moment. You can't, can't let it go or else, uh, you know, you'll forget it by next week and it'll be gone. Yeah. And you certainly can't do that if you're doing it remotely, you know, I mean, you can't <laughs> yeah. just go over to a piano or just start playing a song on guitar and, you know, people hear that and they hear the melody or whatever it is. And, and then the birth of a song has just happened. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, and there's a certain genre, there's genres of music where, you know, writing remotely is great. Um, you know, cause it's, it's not, it's more about kind of the song and the feel and the sounds that you're making than it is relaying it to, you know, on stage to an audience. And our, our, when we, when we record songs, when we release albums, we do it so we can go share it on the stage in front of an audience. Uh, if, if there was no live shows, I would lose my passion really quickly. Um, that's what I live for. And I know that, you know, writing songs and recording them just means we get to go on the road and play them. <laughs> you know, and being a live act and a consistent live act 
is what you have to do to grow your audience these days, you know? Oh yeah. When you think back up starting out to where you are now, what's been the biggest factor in, in creating the audience that you guys have? Repetition. Um, repetition of going back to the places that you saw an ounce of success um, and not letting them go by the wayside. Because if you go out, you know, don't want to get all numbery, but if you go out to somewhere in March and it was a great show and it was, let's say 12 hours away from where you live, you better book the next time you're out there, you know, five months from then or three months, however soon you can get there. Uh, because, you know, if you don't make it back there for two years, the people that saw you there that loved it probably have moved on, um, you know, and to get them back into your grass after two years of not, no me not being there. Um, you know, it, besides any pandemic issues um, of not getting somewhere, but I mean, really just to, to hit, to hit it, uh, repetition, get back there. And if you're going to make the time to tour out somewhere, make, you better have a plan to do it again or else you're wasting your time. <laughs> well, a band like Robert John and the wreck and like many other bands that have come out over the past decade plus, maybe decade or two have to do that that way. You know, they're not a legacy act where you cannot be in a place for four or five years, but you come back, you'll sell out. You know, like I think of band like Iron Maiden, who I just saw in October. I think the last time they were in Chicago were four years ago, right? They they can do that. They have the name. But when you're building an audience, you have to go back to those places where you saw that ounce of success. And you have yeah. to building on it because that ounce turns into a pound, right? Yep. And um that's, and your, your your goal is that for that one pound to turn into a ton. I mean, there's there's always more. Yeah, uh, and and you gotta and yeah, and that, it's just not it's not just repetition. It's it's repetition and growing it. Well, the time that you're off, you're growing that. You know, you're growing the your. I don't know what the proper term is, but your your presence around that area, because and now we have the ability to do that with social media being. You know, you can direct anything and target anything. It's uh it's a great tool that a lot of bands didn't have in the in the 90s and the 80s (laughs) is your success in the uk something that has surprised you was that something that you were always interested in pursuing yeah it i mean we we toured in europe quite a bit and then we never toured the uk the uk is a different beast um it's a different way of life and uh even then before brexit and all that stuff um there's there's just different paperwork there's different rules there's it's all different and then um so i i don't really recall when we when we pulled that trigger i think it was during covid when we um decided to go to the uk for the first time and uh yeah i we were surprised at at the um at the response that we got and we're incredibly stoked and happy and, and we're going back, you know, in February and we'll be back there again in September. And um, yeah, it's been great. It's uh, we hadn't, we didn't know what to expect. You never know what to expect when you go somewhere for the first time. 
no matter how well you thought you marketed it and how well you thought anything would go. You never know until you're there. Until boots are on the ground, um, anything can happen. So we were we were really excited to be there and to uh, get out there again. Is is it true that the audiences in the UK and in Europe are more accepting to new music, new rock music, um, than audiences here in the in the US in North America? It seems that way for us, but I'm not convinced that it's true. I think that something over there, it's 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 easier for people to understand what's going on and that there's a a new up and coming band coming through their town. And I think that the venues out there are there to support good music and let their community know about it, which I think is something that lacks here in the States. You can go to almost every city in the nation and, and play music, but I think the venues don't really, this is not all venues. Some venues are amazing. Most are amazing. Um, but I think there's more venues that, that, that put more pride in the bands that they book and the shows that they put on in Europe and the UK than, than there might be in the States. Seems like there's just a saturation of the local cover band and audiences want to go out and see a band that's going to play music they're familiar with. <clears throat> and a lot of the venues here in the States get sucked in by that because they know the money's better because more people will come in and, 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 and drink alcohol because that's where they make their money. But in my opinion, it kind of lacks, kind of lacks vision when you do that because it kind of, it kind of waters down what rock and roll is all about. You know, I, I love going to see a new band that maybe I know one song or maybe I've heard they're good and I'm going to go check them out. Um, rather than go see a song that is being performed by a band that didn't write that song, didn't put, it doesn't have an album with that song on it. Um, to me, that's, I don't know. Um, it's, I, I don't know how it is in Europe and the UK if there is that presence of, of cover bands that, you know, oh, for sure. They're, they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think there's a, there's a time and place for that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it's sad when you, when you're, when you have a really great venue. And to me, it seems that possibly the venue owners are more can, they really just want to care more about the money than anything. So if you care more about the money as a venue owner, you're going to put those acts in every night because that's what's, that's what's going to bring in way more money than, you know, uh, an original band who's on the road that's asking for at least dinner and drinks, <laughs> um, you know, and I think, but I think there's a time and place, you know, it, it's great to, you know, when you, when you get to a great venue and you're playing that great venue as an original act, you know, and you look at the calendar and, you know, there's a cover band on Saturday, you know, it, everyone's got to make a buck and everyone's got to, you know, support the other nights. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, it, it's it's everywhere, and it's it. I have some best friends that are in them here, in Southern California, and they are doing great, and it's it's a it's a fun time. Um, so I think there's definitely a time and place. But uh, you know, it, it it 
it probably would be a bummer if the local venue here had tribute bands every night and never book anything else. <laughs> but right. luckily we have some, we have some good local venues down here in Orange County that, uh, there's, like I said, I guess time and place. I said that probably four times so far and I'm not even drinking. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that have that, that leave time and space for the original acts, especially the new ones, just to get their feet wet. You know, the, up and coming bands right now that, that they need a place to play. You know, there, there's gotta be a venue. There's gotta be some bars that let original bands play because that's how you become a band. You don't become a band from playing in your garage or in your room. Um, you get out there and you, you play for five people and then you hope it's 10 next time. <laughs> When's the next single coming out? Um, our next single comes out in January after the holidays are all over with. Um, I don't have the exact date on me, but I think it's maybe the third week of January, maybe the second week of January. You got to stay tuned to find out. <laughs> have all the songs been written for the EP and it's just a matter of putting them out? Yeah, yeah. Yep. They're all recorded and, and ready to go. We're just staggering, staggering them all, you know, um, as we go. I mean, especially when we're not on the road, you know, there's, there's not much going on. Um, it's nice to have those in the back pocket and then we have more in the back pocket after those. So there's a lot of new music coming out this year and, uh, we're excited to, uh, there's a lot of cool things happening this year. We have a new, a live record coming out, um, really soon. Uh, I think that's coming out in February or April. Um, but yeah, so there's a, we've got a lot on the, on the headboard. What about coming to Chicago? I mean, I, I know I would love to come to Chicago. Um, we usually come to Arlington Heights, which is north. Yeah, north I, I, Chicago. I, I, it's like five minutes from where I grew up. Yeah, so we've been out there. We were just there yeah, uh, in September, October. Was that Home Bar? It was Hey Nani. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's in yeah. yeah, okay. I know that place. Yeah, so we were there this past fall, and then we were there again last fall. Um and so I would imagine we'll be up there somewhere in the spring or early summer. Um, I, I, I think that's the plan. Is there a I, don't plan know, to, I don't know where, but. Is there a plan to, to also tour the you know, other parts of the U S too, as well, after you get back, yeah. from, uh, you know, UK and Europe. Yep. We'll be, we'll be out there basically spring and summer. Um, we'll be getting everywhere we can. Robert, man, this has been a great conversation. I, I can't wait for more new music. Can't wait to hear what you guys got in store for next year. Um, love the band, and uh, thanks, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Everyone, that is Robert Burrison from Robert John and the Wreck. Awesome conversation. Really enjoyed that. I am Jay Scott. This has been another episode of The Hook Rocks. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. Stay warm. We will talk soon. Thanks.
achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.